I sound like the biggest fucking cat on this podcast, but this is <laughs> this is true story. So I, I see like oh, you're in good company. Don't worry. Yeah, I just go fuck. Like, where's Jared? Like, Jared's gonna hit me in the back. Someone out like Russell Packer's gonna hit me in the back. You kind of need those guys that have got a bit of fear factor, and he was it. And then you got him and um, Craig Fitzgibbon flying out. Like, were those, were those cunts ever on side? Because that line speed was just too crazy, wasn't it? Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today I'm joined once again by a special guest. He came on about August last year. We sort of went through his career, his life so far. There's been a lot of changes over the last 12 months as well. Isaac John, welcome back on, mate. Thanks for having me on, brother. Pumped to be here. Mate, tell me, it's been about 12 months. I think it was August last year when we had you on. Uh, there's been a lot of changes just from the outside looking in at YKTR. I mean, Jackson's arrived. Um, you've obviously got Scope who's come on board. The Hurricane and Jordan Simmy's arrived as well. Tell me, mate, what's been the high of the last 12 months for you? The what? Sorry, the high? Yeah, the high of the last 12 months. Um, I don't know, just sort of coming to work and sort of seeing everyone sort of like happy is pretty cool. Uh, everyone was living completely different lives and they've all sort of left to come work for YKTR or YKTR Sports. So that makes you feel good, bro. Tell me, mate, what's been the low of the last 12 months if you had to pick something? Oh, I can't think of one, eh, to be honest. I know with highs come lows and all that sort of stuff, but I don't I don't have any. I've got nothing to complain about. Just grateful for everything. And how have you found uh, COVID has affected you guys, mate? Once again, from the outside looking in, it looks like you've kind of enjoyed that challenge and that transition during this pretty tough period for a lot of people. Yeah, just from a personal standpoint, I've gone into that 75 hard. So like I'm training twice a day, I'm eating super clean. Um, I'm doing, I'm working on a lot of projects that I've been putting off. So from a personal standpoint, I'm kind of enjoying it. And I, I, I'm mindful when I say that because I know there's a lot of people struggling and I've got friends that got small businesses and they're really doing it tough. But just from a personal standpoint, I kind of like these challenges. I think it sets you up for that next phase once you come out of it. So if you're grinding in this time, you're going to get the benefits of it from the other times. And it kind of forces you to plan. So I've always knew something was going to come and it's going to happen. And that really happened last year for YKTR. We, we, we became a stronger business off the back of it. So I really enjoy these. These remind me of like pre-seasons. Like you got your head down, it's fucking tough. You don't really want to be there. But kind of when you come out of it, you look back and you're like, oh shit, it was, it was there for a reason. I'll tell you, mate, what watching you over the last few years has been interesting for me, obviously, you know, you used to live in like Alexandra Rosebury sort of area, which is where I live now. So it was sort of you, you know, going around all the same place that I go to. You've now moved down to Bondi. I, I lived in North Bondi for about two or three years when I was a kid. I lived with my grandparents for a couple Sick. of years. and. Like every morning, it's just like going down the old path that I used to go down. It's changed a lot, but it looks like you're absolutely loving life down there. Yeah, it's just like uh, I think Batuta Advocate put up a post a while ago. Um, got you never feel bad after a swim. They <laughs> <laughs> never miss, eh? Nah, it's so true, man. Like, like me and Scope went for like a six k run this morning and went for a swim and coffee, talk shit, and jump in the car. And here I am talking to you. So it's a great way to start the day. It's a beautiful part of the world. Um, there's a, there's a good energy around. Like I love I love Sydney's energy. Some people. Come Come here, um, get chewing up and spat out. And like, if you don't adapt to the energy, um, that's going to happen. But it's like sort of got this hustlers mentality and people get it confused sometimes. But I love the energy. And Bondi's, people always say there's two, oh, someone told me one time there's two parts of Bondi. There's the morning and the nighttime. You can't live both. You'd rather be around the people in the morning. And they're the ones that are generally happy. So there's a couple of people that I talk to every day and down there, like five in the morning, it's always the same people. Like Trent Knox runs the 440 Run Club. I train with him some days and they're always in a good mood. A lot of the people are a lot older, uh, but they're usually the ones with the best story. So I like hanging around those types of people. Mate, obviously you're on here today to go through your one to 13, your dream team of all time, which I can't wait to get into. Before we do, uh, the NRL this year, mate, uh, 
I guess a lot of people have described it as a two-horse race the last few months. Uh, then all of a sudden, Turbo, he returned from injury. He's been on fire. He might even get a feature in your team today. We'll talk about him soon. But how do you see it playing out in the back end? Um, I've got I've got two theories on this. So one of them is, so I'll go back on 2009, 2012. The best players were Jared Hayne and Ben Barber. I think Tommy Turbo is putting together one one of those types of seasons when you relate them back to a year. So, you know, we get Benji 05, Jared Hayne 09, Benny Barber. It's going to be Tommy Turbo 21. And um, that's just how it is. And in both those years, when, when that player was playing at such a high caliber, they went all the way to the final and they played Melbourne in the final. And Melbourne beat them both times. So I do like that analogy. I had an, I've got another one in my mind where you think of uh, Penrith Panthers, 1990, who'd they play? Canberra Raiders. And I remember my guy telling a story. He goes, when we played the Canberra Raiders the first time, we were warming up and I looked across the field and they just looked bigger and stronger than everyone else. Obviously had Mal and, and apparently the boys on the Canberra Milk and all that sort of stuff. But the, the second year, 1991, they come back and that time when they looked across the field, they didn't seem as opposing or as as scared as what they were. So those are my two analogies. I think it's a three-horse race. I think South leaked, leaked too many points. Um, if you leak those types of points against uh, Melbourne or Penrith, you're going to get caught. Um, but I see those two scenarios happen. It's either a repeat and Penrith play Melbourne, and it's very similar to the 1991 sort of vibe. And then um, the other way is Manly and Melbourne as well. And that, those teams got history as well. So they've been sort of the – sort of the rivalry for a long time. So I see that sort of happening. I start thinking about weird stuff as well. Had another one where Penrith were 91 champions. In my mind, I thought Ivan had um, played in the 2001 grand final, but he was actually 2002. And 2002, then, and, yeah. And then, and then like, I, I started rambling across these things, and then I was like, oh, the Warriors made 2011 grand final. So every every 10 years, Ivan's making a grand <laughs> final. So I go through all these fucking random scenarios. Um but I just see that Manly one playing up for some reason. I don't know. I, like, it's a superstar league right now. You you pull Tommy Turbo away, Manly scrape scrape into a win. You pull Nathan Cleary out, Penrith fucking struggling against. Like, you know what I mean? They scrape into a win. You pull Munster out. You got you got Melbourne flat out trying to beat the Cowboys. So I, I like superstar leagues. I reference basketball a lot, and you need superstars in there. Um, but I think it's never been more obvious than it is right now. I think uh, just to play Rain Man with you for a couple of seconds, on top of the uh, Hano 9, Barber 12, if you look back to 2017, for me, the two best players in the comp by a country mile were Tao Malolo and Michael Morgan. Yeah. Also played the Melbourne Storm in that grand final. And, I mean, I think they won that one by 30 points. I think that 2017 is one of the best sides ever. And on top of your Penrith Panthers theory, if they do make it to that grand final, a uh, little bit of potential jam on the Clive Churchill medalist. 91, Roy Simmons scores two tries. 2003, Luke Prittis. Luke Prittis. Oh, happy Curacao, man. Keep an eye on him. Yeah, he's been in a bit of trouble lately, so hopefully he can get his shit together. <laughs> Proper Barney Rubble. Bad day to be happy Curacao, mate. Oh. Let's dive into uh, our dream team. And at fullback, uh, obviously a position that has been dominated by so many superstars in our game over the last 15 years. And right now, I mean, is it the golden era of fullbacks or what? Um, I think they have the biggest influence on the game. I think the way um, – like. Like, I always use basketball. So, we'll, like, the Tommy Turbos, the Tedescos, they've had great reference points to sort of build off the back off, and Billy Slater has been the guy. Um, but, yeah, it is, like, I think they're the most valuable. They touch the ball a lot. They make the most yards. They're, with the way their shape is played right now, they're usually the person that throws the last pass. So they're kind of, like, stacking 
um, their stats a little bit, like padding their stats up. Because a lot of the time, Tommy Turbo is just passing to Ruben Garrick, and that's a TA, you know what I mean? That's a triassist. So it's kind of a lopsided one, but it is, bro. It is. It, they're so influential right now. And we're, we're blessed. We're blessed with so many great fullbacks. Like, you go, you, you, name, name your top five fullbacks right now. Oh, I, I'd go Turbo. I would have Teddy in there. I'd have about 15 guys from the fucking Melbourne Storm at the moment. It's unreal. <laughs> they, they've got top five fullbacks playing five, eight and halfback realistically. Yeah. I'd have Pappy in there. Um, uh, I'd still have Roger in there. I know that he probably hasn't been at the same level as those other guys this year, but I would still have him up there. And I mean, we haven't mentioned guys like Gutho. I haven't mentioned KP yet. Like, it's unreal the depth in the position at the moment. Yeah. And KP is my favorite player. And we, we jumped on the podcast the other week. And obviously when he shows glimpses like what he can do in origin with quality players around him, it's really exciting to see. But man, like like we said, man, KP's maybe scraping into the top five. And he, he's one of the most exciting players to watch. So um, it's, it's, it's one of those, like, I think rugby league always goes for periods of like early 2000s, like, fuck, who's the best center? We had Hodges, we had Gaznia, Cooper, Jamie Lyon, all these types of guys like that coming through. And I think it's just gravitated towards uh, fullbacks league right now. And it, it'll change all to go back to something else. I think 13s are really important right now. Um, I've referenced this conversation a lot. Like I bumped into Trent Robinson down in Bronte beach and um, he goes, your spine is now five players. So he obviously your halves, your hooker, your fullback and your 13. And he goes, the dream is to have all five players that can pass, not just pass the ball, but pass at an elite level where they can strip people. Um, Worst case scenario, one of them that can't pass and um, he talked about Kyle Flanagan and this a lot. So he goes, once Victor Radley went down, there was a lot more pressure on Kyle Flanagan. And obviously he's a half who can pass, but he can't. He wasn't able to see the plays at the right time. So it got him into a bit of trouble. He looked great when Victor Radley was there. So you're talking about your spines. You need all five that can pass. That's the dream. You start – and like you see – you see Penrith start to get in a little bit of trouble. So Dylan Brown he can make a pass, but like out nine times – oh, like – out of 10 times, he may be stripping maybe 50%, 60%. That's probably not enough for that yep. level. And then once Isaiah Yell starts, like he gets a head knock and he goes off, you just see them start to like tighten up and everything likes a little, looks a little bit clunky. So it's a great thing to pay attention to. So once he told me that, I was like, shit, that makes sense. I think also, mate, with that Penrith side, uh, you know, you, you look at the way, especially with all the shape that they're able to throw out the left-hand side, it's unreal. But they're one of the few teams that, they don't really even use their fullback in that shape. No, like you don't no. see Dylan Edwards even coming down that edge all that much. It's amazing to think, I mean, if they did, did have a James Sedesco or Tom Travojevic who played a little bit more down that left edge, I mean, it's already probably the most dangerous edge in the game. Imagine what it could be if you had, you know, a fullback, as you said, with a slightly higher passing IQ. It would be unreal. Yeah, and um, but then he, he balances it out with like running like meters and stuff like that. But yeah. if you if you really pay attention to the way that Penrith played, and this is like a bit of education for people that don't understand, they've basically ripped off um, Pen- uh, Cowboys back in the day. So what had happened is like Lachlan Coote and um, Michael Morgan, they were both sort of fighting for that fullback position. Robert Louis went down. So the way they changed their whole shape was J- JT would hold the middle of the field, Lachlan Coote or... Lachlan Coote was left side and then Michael Morgan was right side. So John Cartwright was the coach at the time when they won the competition. He rolled down to Manly. He brought that system down to Manly. Manly copied that. Trent Barron found out that, took it over to Penrith, and it sort of just evolved from there. But it suits their style of play because Jerome Luai is a great left side player, um, but he can sort of cover 
all the way across where Dylan Edwards, I called him Dylan Brown before, I always seem to do that. Um, he can just cover that right side and it takes away that, that deficiency as well. Roos has done it for their um, period as well when Minichillo wasn't a great passing. Yep. But they used to just run that shape like a little bit different. But um, it's a great way to play, especially if you've got a Nathan Cleary there. Mate, you mentioned the Manly Seagulls there. And obviously the fullback you have uh, selected here is Tom Dravojevic. And I know that this year there's been a lot of comparisons to Hano 9, Barber 12. For I, think me, he, I think he's past him. I think he's past oh, him, bro. Mate, I think he well and truly has. I, mean, I think for me, this thing that stands out for me with Turbo is that, you know, Hayne and Barber, their forwards, like they sort of had to win the ruck for them to get on the front foot. If Manly aren't winning the ruck, Turbo just goes and fucking wins it himself. He just says, give me the pill. I'll win it for us. Like, I've never seen a fullback doing what he's doing at the moment. You see your markers in a little bit of disarray and he just appears on the A and is just ready to go. I think he's incredible at the moment. Yeah, just the physical presence as well. He's six yep. foot, bro. He can kick off both feet. He could have easily rolled into AFL. Um, he's got a really – he's a really smart kid as well. Like, I think he was, like, like really, really smart. So we were playing nines one time. Um, I was playing for Manly and he was able to figure out like the points differential just off the top of his head of how much we'd need. If we lost the next game, he could figure out in his head, bro. He's kind of like fucked up smart. Like that's how smart he is. So he's got this, man, sometimes, sometimes I think the universe always balances it out. So a lot of the times you see super talented people, but they're kind of lazy, but they can, can kind of get past but get by. And then the other side is the guy of no talent, but he works his fucking ass off and he'll balance it out. Tommy's like, he just goes against nature. He's super talented. He's super smart. He actually cares about winning. He's fit. He's fast. Like there's no flaw in his game whatsoever. And it's fucking scary. And he actually cares about manly. He cares about winning. I've never seen someone take a loss so hard than him and his brother be round three against fucking West Tigers. And they lose the boys are in their sheds. It looks like they're going to cry. Like, they'll drag it into Monday, Tuesday too. Like, can't pick your fucking head up. <laughs> fucking Mate, West Tigers. Oh, this year, you know, he's obviously had a vast array of highlights that have been unreal. But the moment that stood out for me was a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember who they were playing, but Paseca, he had a bit of a lazy play in defense. And, Mate, I'm not yeah. sure if you saw it, but Tom Trevojevic looked like he gave him one of the all-time sprays. And without knowing Tommy personally, I never really thought, he was going to be that sort of dude, but it's like he's come of age. He realizes how good he is now and the impact he can have and the standards he's setting. It just feels like to me, football-wise, but also mentally, he's just gone to a new level. Yeah, and obviously like um, that injury at the start of the year, um, getting publicly shamed. I think he's off to piss right now. So he's, he's fully focused on trying to be the best player he can be. And he, and we you look at Jared Hayne 09 and um, Benny Barber and that, like they didn't like they didn't have Cherry Evans and Foz. They yep. had Daniel Mortimer, Jeff Robson. They had Trent Hogginson and Josh Reynolds, all great players in their own right, but they, they can't create the way that yep. DCE can create and the way that Fozzie can create as well. So that's probably the one thing that they've got on their side as well. Manly, uh, we talked about this yesterday with Scope. Like Manly have always that type – Ivan Cleary said this to me. He goes, as long as Manly have been around, it doesn't matter if they're up by two, up by four, up by 14, up by 44. If they're 10 metres off the line, 20 metres, if the pass is on, they'll just throw it. They don't give a yeah. fuck. So they've always been able to breed really natural footballers that aren't as scared to th- flow it and aren't as scared to be like a little bit overweight and sort of stuff. They're just, they're just pure footballers, the Manly Club. And it must be something in the woodwork because it just carries over and over and over. And that game on the weekend, we're watching a video back on it. It's hard to do video on them because – like, you know, when you play Penrith, you know, when you play Melbourne, they're like, oh, we're going to get them to the left post and post and they're going to run this shape back. 
Manly just zing it and then play off the yeah. back of it. And then to top that off, they've got Tommy Turbo, who's got great rugby league IQ. He'll check blindside. All right, you got Dane Laurie there. Let me just give me the ball and just I'll run over the top of him. And it's he's at that point right now, 10 metres off the line, one-on-one, one-on-two. There's not too many people that can stop him. And G.I. sort of had that effect about him for a couple of years when he was at the Rabbitohs where you're like, fuck, he's got that about him. Yeah. Can I ask you, mate, if we would have done this six months ago before this season started, is Turbo your fullback or no, are you going no, Slater? No, I would have gone Slater for sure. Yeah. Um, I know Tedesco's there and he, he's one of the great players. Um, I don't know, it's just something about these other two that sort of stick out a bit more and, and like Tommy Turbo's gone on to oh, – I mean, um, Tedesco's gone on to do some great things and win comps and origin series and now he's a captain. I don't know, just something about the mother two stick out a bit more for me and I, I can't put my finger on it. For me, mate, I've, I've always said, and, you know, maybe it's getting further away from being right, but I've always said that Tedesco for me is the better fullback, but Turbo is just the better footballer and you can just put him anywhere and when he is playing fullback, he's just such a naturally good footballer that, like, it, it's hard to compensate for what he does. Yeah, and I think just physical presence, like I think he sticks out a bit more. Like when you're sitting in a, a Brookie Oval on the stand, you see him like run out that tunnel and his head's almost scraping the top. Like sometimes you don't realise how big football players are until you're standing next to him and stuff like that. So he's kind of just got this like big aura about him where when he when at the moment when he walks on the field, like you're like, oh shit. Like he's fucking he's fucking big. <laughs> and then he's fucking running like lightning and he's fit as. The first first time first time I was at Manly um, we done a two point two k time trial. He, like him and Cherry Evans basically sprinted like first day of training, November the first. Them two like sprinted the whole thing. I was like, "What the fuck's going on?" And do you know who beat him, bro? <laughs> Jamie Lyon. No, I, I tell you what doesn't actually shock me. What well, he just? Uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about him later, of course. But mate, let's dive into our wingers. And uh, you're going for some some big bits of gear here. The first guy is Semi Rajaraja. I only played a couple of years in the NRL, but no stranger to uh, to the promised land. Um, yeah, last time I played an NRL game, I tried to tackle him around the legs and he stretched a nerve on my neck and I couldn't lift my arm for like six weeks. So he, he, he basically ended my career. Uh, <laughs> nah, but just, just his style. Um, but I know, I know Beemol's like, when you think of the game's great and that's just longevity and he's been, been able to do it over a long time, bro. But when Madraja was in his prime, uh, fuck. It was scary, bro. It was scary. He could do everything, could score from long distance, could finish off an easy try, had a tough carry, great in the air. Um, he kind of had that, like, you know, we used to stop and look at you and then like goose, and then he could take you outside, but if he went over, he'd come under hard. And I'll tell you a story. So when Paro was flying and Normie was flying, um, Vunavalu started flying. Um, he started getting a name for himself as well, and the boys are getting into him at training and going, like, Bulla, Bulla, like, um, he's the best Fijian in the comp right now. And if you remember a game where he came out in the first 10 minutes, got the ball, <laughs> just ran straight at him, palmed him off, and I think they scored, like, a long-distance try and just put an absolute clinic on him. And obviously with all the Fijians boys, they're pretty laid back and relaxed, and they pick and choose when they play. But when he decided to play... Man, Fuck it, when they play, it's over. It, yeah, when they play and the arm starts coming out, and I always say this: only Fijians and Indigenous boys can do a chip. Do a chip. It'd be like you know when you do a chip, you want it to be like a perfect. They're the only only races that can do a chip like this, and it'll bounce up and land yeah. back in their hands. Only them two, Fijians and all the Indigenous boys. They're just freakish football talents. Mate, 94 games. He scored 82 tries. I mean, <laughs> that is just unreal. About a dollar thirty for an any timer. Yeah, and like their their like their edge used to dominate where it was like Normie, 
um, Manu Mal, Brad Takarangi, and him. And bro, that was such a good edge to watch at the time. And he was on the end of it. But like I said, he just had X Factor. And when he wanted to turn it on, I kind of like those guys that just pick and choose when they play. Obviously, if you're a fan, you want them to turn up every week. But something special about those guys. I like them. Mate, uh, another guy that you've picked on the other wing, uh, very similar character, of course, didn't play as much in the NRL, uh, has had a pretty decorated career and a life, Israel Folau. Uh, I remember the year he burst onto the scene for Melbourne out on the right sting. Uh, I think he played every single game and he went 20 plus tries in his first season and he was a teenager. I mean, that first season for Melbourne was unbelievable. Yeah, like uh, they always say this as well, some some talents – don't deserve to stay in league for a long time. You look at Rajradra, you look at um, Sonny Bill Williams, you look at Israel Folau. He's one of those guys. His talent is so good that the whole world needs to see it, not just Australia. So I, I love Folau. Um, obviously, he probably bought the fifth tackle. He made the fifth tackle more important than what it was historically before that. Where And it almost got to the point, bro, where they were going to change the rules because he was scoring two more new tries. So, oh, rugby league's getting boring now. Everyone's just kicking. Like, if you score off a kick, you should only be worth three points. Standard fucking rugby league trying to change the rules every three seconds. But, man, he was just good. He was balanced. Um, got to play him a few times. And same thing, bro. Like, when you run out of the tunnel and they're the home team, like, honestly, man, you always look for a couple players. Like, when it, you just, like... It's like you're a kid, bro, and you see the big Islander kid and you know he's going to run over the top of you. When you play those guys, you just look for them. And those types of guys have the X factor or whatever it is. And you kind of half beat yourself. You half psych yourself out. And here's one of the guys that had that type of appeal. So you what, you just ended my head for the first 15 years of my life. I don't think I met a Polynesian fellow that didn't run over the top of me. <laughs> Mate, um, Israel Folau, for me, the moment that I'll never remember, and I can't remember exactly the year, but it's a try that he scored in origin. Oh, where yeah. He, of Anthony Quinn. I'm not sure if he's come down yet. That was unbelievable. Yeah, crazy, crazy. So that athletic ability, um, like if House of Highlights and stuff was around, like, or Instagram was a lot bigger, man, that would have gone global. Mate, let's dive into the centers and two of my favorite players of all time. I think that if I had to pick my centers, I think it would be these two. Let's start with Jamie Lyon first, mate. Killer. Um, a guy, an unbelievable career, obviously kicked off at the Parramatta Eels. And I think people forget, I mean, he was the best center in the game. He was the kangaroo center and decided mm, rugby league's not for me. I might take off now. Just like unbelievable to think that he then went over to England. He was the man of steel there. He came back to Manly and he became arguably one of Manly's best ever players, one of their best ever captains as well. An incredible career. Yeah. Loved, loved everything. I always loved Jamie Lyon from a very young age. Um, I just always paid attention to him. And when I was putting this team together, I said it to Jackson. He goes, why would you pick Jamie Lyon? I go, but he was fucking turning down origin teams because he just didn't want to play. So like, man, we begged him every fucking year. <laughs> yeah. Someone fucking stop GI, please. Nah, um, but when when you when and a lot of the and a lot of the greats like Joey and all put sort of Jamie Lyon in that position as well, and um, he, he just never fucked up two on twos or, or three on twos. He could always put that that player away. Not not a, his winger was always close to top try scorer every single year. He was just a great player to watch and and. Just an out-and-out pure centre. Had a dog's body as well. Used to love it. <laughs> I don't know. And I obviously got the chance in this last year at Manly. I was there. Um, tr- I was a professional trainer. I was injured the whole time. But just great to be around. Um, fun guy. Like He'd never fucking train, and then he'd just come on and we'd do edge-on-edge, edge, bro, and just like, fuck. It was just just wasn't fair. Like You used to look at him, and you're like, fuck, you're a mess. Your body sucks. And he just, fuck, he just had it, bro. He just had it. Like the rest of the guys in the team, some some dudes just have it, and he was it, bro. He just didn't look like he had it, but he had it. 
Well, I think for me, mate, when I think back to Jamie Lyon, probably the thing that I remember the most is how many times you'd see Manly land on like 60 or 70%. And instead of coming back to hit their halves, I mean, Jamie Lyon was a genuine option on every single last tackle. And the amount of times they would go to him and he would kick it back infield and Snake would just appear there or he'd force a repeat set. Or as you said, he'd just pull something out of his ass to put his winger over. It was like having a 5'8 playing at centre. He had that sort of skill set. Yeah, and that was a great sort of – we done that in training one time. So I was playing 5-8 with these boys, and um, Killer just goes like, oh, just give it here. And um, like you said, so I, I was first receiver, zinged it all the way out to him. And what that does, the wingers obviously got to come up, and then the fullbacks got to cover like that. <laughs> and then, boom, little banana, and then snakes just cruising through, just going, fuck. It was, it was impressive to watch, man. And obviously when you play the football together for that long, you build up a bit of a chemistry, and they didn't have to say too much. They just knew what they were doing. You just had to do what they were – the, what they wanted, so it was good, easy. Mate, your other centre that you've picked, uh, GI, of course, uh, played a lot of his career at fullback, also won uh, Clive Churchill at 5'8". He was the best 5'8 in the game at one point. He was the best fullback in the game at one point. Centre, though, especially in the Origin Arena, he just dominated. I fuck, I feel sorry for the poor list of bastards that had to play right centre for New South Wales. Yeah, and like um, obviously very similar to um, Latrell and, and Tommy at the moment where like – they're playing fullback, but they're at centre. You don't have to run. They get all the energy. And once you get that clean ball, and I think football's gone back to the early 2000s where it's a lot quicker and sometimes the best um, plays are not big shapes, but just get the ball to your centre. And, man, he was just special. I think we could sit here and talk about him all day. But like I said, like same thing I've said about these other guys. When you walk on the field, like you're like, oh, fuck, GI, GI. Like we used to do video when we were playing Rabbitohs, and like half of it was on GI. Like – this is how he gets the ball. This is how he carries the ball. You need to be up in his face. And all, you want, all you're worried about is fucking getting palmed in the face. Or if you go low, he's going to offload anyway. So um, I think a couple of times I played him, he was just, you know, he could pick and choose his games. He, yep. he, was, in, he was in more cruise mode. So grateful for that. <laughs> Thank God you weren't playing Origin because I'll tell you what, <laughs> from a New South Wales point of view, he picked his fucking moments there. And like, remember Tommy, like we're talking about Tommy as like one of the game's greats at the moment. When Tommy was carrying the ball, Baji, I was just pumping him. I know Tommy's a little bit younger, but, but still, fuck. Mate, let's move into our halves and uh, your 5'8 jersey. Uh, probably the age-old question, Freddie or Lockie. Uh, you, you've written both down here. Tell me um, tell me the positives of both, mate. Two of my favourite players of all time. Um, I grew up watching Freddie. Um, I like his demeanor. Obviously, he's been a great benefit off the back of like the Blues camp as well. Just sort of that laid-back character that you'd probably love to play with as well. Um, great carry of the ball. I used to love when he used to just sing a ball, like something special about it. Very similar to like a Timmy Smith or a Jared Mullen. He just sort of had that that force behind it. Uh, big game player too, like tough, yep. tough. So um, the other side, Lockyer, man, I think he just sort of changed the way that the, the game was played in terms of playing out the back and all that sort of block shape. Um, there's this highlight package going around where it's Knights versus Broncos and it's very much just like first receiver, Lockyer yeah. versus John's battle. It's one of my favourite games to watch. So, man, I'm stuck between them. But if I had to pick, I'd probably go Lockyer. Yeah. You? Uh, personally, mate, I, I would go Freddie. I've, um, I have I think Freddie's, in, in one way of looking at it, I think he's the most – complete footballer we've seen. If you said to me, you can only pick one guy 17 times in a team, I think for me, it would be Freddie. He was the best 5'8", the best center, the best lock forward in the game, depending on what jersey you threw him. And fuck, dare I say, he would have been one of the best back rowers as well, realistically. I hear the argument for Lockie and it's very close. I mean, I think we forget that Lockie was the best fullback in the game before he moved to 5'8". Then he was the best 5'8 in the game. And 
I think that transition now, because Lockie did it so easy, fuck, I feel for guys like KP, the people like, oh, Darren Lockyer did it. It's like, fuck, it's a mm. tough gig. It is, it is a hard thing to be able to do. And I mean, we've seen so many guys that have tried to do it. I mean, I remember when they, when they tried to do it with Hainsey, it, you know, I, it didn't really work for me. They might not have given it enough time, but I think people underappreciate how hard that that transition is because Lockie just made it look so easy. <laughs> yeah, but even his first couple games, I think he was struggling a bit because he was up in the D-line and they were trying to target him as well. But, yeah, you, you're probably right about it, Freddie, if you got to pick one player across your 13. Um, I I thought we were rolling out of 17. I kind of had him in um, – he'd be the perfect 14, wouldn't he? <laughs> Mate, it would be <laughs> unreal. He's just – I, yeah. Uh, you, you, you picked a fantastic lock forward. I think I would have probably had – Freddie at 13, if I could, because yeah, I just I was, got to have him in this team. All right, mate, could you imagine him in the modern game playing 13? Fuck, it's over. Yeah, kiddies. Yeah, you're probably right there. Um, yeah, because I, yeah, we'll roll it into it anyway. Mate, uh, let's move to the halfback. Uh, picks himself, Joey Johns. And, um, mate, I, I did a deep dive on Joey the other day, and I'm interested to hear your opinion on it. Um, obviously, Joey, he achieved so much in his career. It was unbelievable. At the age of 31, the injury started. And, from memory, what I was talking about the other day, I think he played like 40 games out of his last 120 that he possibly could. In the midst of that was the 2005 Origin Series. Dare I say, one of the most dominant performances on the biggest stages of all time. You have a look at Brad Fittler post-30, um, Grand Final 2000, Premiership 02, Grand Final 03, Grand Final 04. You look at Cooper Cronk, his last three years in first grade are Premiership, Premiership, Premiership across two clubs. Mm. I honestly think we missed out on potentially the most complete football from Andrew Johns, the most matured football. You know, you get post 30 and there's nothing that they haven't seen. And we saw Joey come in off an injury where, I mean, he, he played peanuts for eight weeks. He came in and played Origin and absolutely dominated. I think Joey's got an unreal career, immortal 100%, but I honestly think we missed out on the best of Joey. Yeah, it's sad. And obviously, like, sports science was probably a thing back like then as well. Um, and the way he sort of lived life as well, which kind of makes him a lot cooler. Like I, obviously Clint Newton's a close friend of mine. And when I first got to Penrith, like I, bro, I'm a Newcastle fan. I remember Newt had been there. Like tell me all the stories about Joey and you hear all these different stories and stuff. And like the one where like he was surfing <laughs> his game day and the surf was too good. And he rocks up late, skips the whole warm up. Hags has gone, where the fuck are you being? He goes, nah, surf was too good. Rolls out and puts on a fucking man of the match performance. Like, shit like that's so fucking cool. But um, a lot like Cameron Smith, where we're so highlights-based right now, when, like, you look at your KPs, your Benji Marshalls, your Roger Tuovasa Sheks, if you, 10 years from now, if you show your kids, ah, oh, this is Joey Johns and this is, like, Kalen Ponga, they're probably going to think, like, Kalen Ponga was 10 times better than him because it's very highlights-based. But if you understand the game and you watch it as a whole, just the influence they can have on the game, the 40-20 in the origin, Cameron Smith, when he pulls out and kicks – Man, proper purists really appreciate those types of players and the influence that they had. And, man, Joey was it, man. Joey was it for me. Like, you just watch him play, and I was like, fuck, this guy's so good to watch. I used to record him and then tap the pause button whenever you get the ball and just go, like, fuck, what's he trying to do here? Used to have the Andrew John story so far. Um, Videotape, which came out in, like, 2001, and the training drills at the back of that. That's how I sort of practiced my football in, in a small country town. Man, he he was just my guy, man. Um, loved everything about him, um, the influence that he had. And when, when, when you've got all the games great, saying like he's he was the guy, man, it's, a, it's a pretty fair rap, isn't it? Oh, man. And like you mentioned as well, the stories off the field, like it just adds to the legend. And I, I feel like every year I hear another two or three Joey stories 
that I've never fucking heard before that are unreal. I had, oh, I won't say who, but I had someone on the podcast last year that told me a story that uh, at the end of a night out, they got in a cab with Joey and, and he was feeling pretty cook and he was about to vomit in the cab. He said, don't you dare in my car. And he went, sweet. And he tucked his shirt into his pants and vomited into his shirt <laughs> and held it like a bag till he got home. Yeah. Just unreal. Um, yeah, mate. I, I mean, any combination of Joey with Freddie or Lockie, it's going to be an unreal halves combo. Let's uh, let's dive into the engine room, mate. And uh, your front rowers, two champions of our game. Uh, Petro Sebenaceba, he's the first one you pick. Uh, uh, just going through my timeline, did you play with Petro? He done my ACL. He died. He, um, I was playing the Warriors. We played against him at Penrith, so we, we were on like a five game win streak. It was a weird game. We got, I think, the penalty count was thirteen to nil against us, and we still yeah. won against Penrith. Yeah. But oh. he he dived at my leg and um, done my ACL. So I always remember remember him being tough. But I'll, I'll probably agree with you with the Freddie moving into the thirteen, and I'll probably bring Burgess down into my um, starting pack. So sorry, Petro. <laughs> I, I think you're he fucking, owes you one brother yeah. don't worry about it um, you, you fucked my ACL so you're out sorry buddy <laughs> mate your other front rower uh, one of my favourite players of all time Adrian Morley obviously uh, the front rower for the Sydney Roosters the early 2000s and a guy that really set the standard uh, at the Sydney Roosters for me um, there, there was a documentary on KO that came out the other night on Ricky Stewart and he talks about that 2002 grand final and just how much his forwards really brought into the culture he set there's of course the moment where Richard Villa-Sandy hits Brad Fittler late, yeah. uh, late high. And Adrian Morley, it was like a Michael Jordan moment, just took it personally, didn't he? Really went after him. Yeah. Um, he, he was one of the guys that made me doubt if I really wanted to play football. Like uh, 2001, yeah. I was like, oh, I just want to play NRL for the Warriors or play for Newcastle and all that sort of shit. And I see that guy coming out the fucking line, and I'm going, I don't know if I'm made for this. He <laughs> fucking used to scare me, man. He was the scariest dude. But yeah, loved loved everything about him. Uh, something about those Pommy boys when they come down here, they got a chip on their shoulder as well. Like even when you've played over there, they're like, oh, like I could play in a row, I could play in a row. But he was one of the guys that was like, shit, fuck, he's scary, man. So you, I think you need enforcers in your team when you're playing halves and you go up and play the Roosters. Like when I was playing half and I played the Roosters, I sound like the biggest fucking cat on this podcast. But this is <laughs> this is true story. So I, I see like hey, you're in good company, don't worry. Yeah, I just go fuck. Like where's Jared? Like. Jared's going to hit me in the back. Someone out like Russell Packer's going to hit me in the back. You kind of need those guys that have got a bit of fear factor, and he was it. And then you've got him and um, Craig Fitzgibbon flying out. The line. Were those were those cunts ever on side? Because that line speed was just too crazy, wasn't it? There's that full gang defense too. Like it was three and four man tackles every time. It was a real transition time in rugby league. I remember the um, they rolled into maybe 2002 or three, and they were the first team to sort of stand back on the 40 meter for the kickoff, like very yep. much like an NFL. A lot of teams just rock up and it's a staggered line, but I remember them just doing that like, fuck, these guys, I don't know, just they look like military, look like fucking robots. So, But Morley, Morley was the guy, he looked like a good time on the piss as well. I remember Finchie telling me that, you know, in the lead up to a, a big game, he'd, uh, you know, he'd go and make something up. The opposition said to fire Morley up and Finchie'd <laughs> thinking, how the fuck would I know that, you idiot? But it would work yeah. every single time. He'd be ready to rip and tear. Mate, are uh, you hooker? Cam Smith, uh, my selection as well. For me, I think uh, he's right up there with the best player of all time, if not. Joey the- says he's the best player ever. Joey. Like- yeah, well, yeah, mate, I wasn't sure of me saying – I do think he's the best player, to be honest with you, but I also now put a lot of 
a lot of weighing on the fact that we didn't see Joey's entire career. So it's a tough one. But Cam Smith, I think he's the best captain our game has ever seen, without a doubt. Um, mate, we, winners win. And it just became a habit for Cam, didn't it? Yeah, you'd look at someone like Tom Brady and you can kind of really compare their careers and not probably the most athletically gifted, but just something about them. Like, like, like all these guys and a lot of guys that we pick in this are very like athletic-based. Like yep. Farber, Drajo, he's huge, and to- Turbo, he's fast and fit and fucking strong as fuck. Man, this guy is just one of those guys you look at and like, oh shit, he looks like me, but then he's nothing like me. And I think it's very unassuming, which makes him like very spe- special. And obviously, he'd be the captain on my side as well. You got some pretty good captains in there, but I think he shines brightest out of all of them. I dare I say, mate, I could divide Cam Smith's career in half. And I still think Cam Smith from the first half or the second half, I still think he's my best hooker of all time. Like it's unbelievable what he achieved. Yeah, like Kobe Bryant as well. You know, when they change when he changed numbers from eight to twenty-four and he had two Hall of Fame careers. So I think Cameron Smith's in that in that sort of uh, mold as well. Mate, uh, an all Kiwi back row, two of my favorites. We'll start with Sonny Bill Williams first. And um I'm sure that he's one of your favourites, not only what he achieved in rugby league, but also just what he achieved as a worldwide athlete. I think he was the first guy in rugby league that made us sort of realise that, or made these guys realise that branding is just so important and you can become something bigger than the game. A freakish player, Sonny Bill. Um, yeah, influence, influenced everything, like haircuts, tattoos, fashion. Um, I remember him, Randy Matua, and Willie, Willie Tonga were like my favourite group of people to watch because I was just like, fuck, these guys are cool, playing in a great side. Look at them just going out and partying and shit like that. So, man, like that that influence when you you become like a global athlete and like you're sp- sponsored by Adidas, like only guys like Beckham and Jonah and Dan Carter, he, he was on that sort of level as well. Obviously could play as well, but I think all that sort of stuff really interested me a lot more as well. I had uh, I had Brent Sherwin on the podcast at the end of last year, mate, and uh, obviously Sonny Bill. Like like me, me as a fan, I just put him on a pedestal. I just think he's he's just on such a high level compared to the vast majority of rugby league players ever. And Shifty told a story that when he had to leave Canterbury, he sent a text out to the boys, and he said that within twenty five minutes he had a, he had a knock on the door and he opened it, and it was Sonny Bill with, with a case of beer, and they polished it off just sitting in his apartment, essentially. Like I, I I don't when I think of Sonny Bill, I don't think of that sort of guy. It's it's crazy when you look back at his career and where he came from. I mean, I, I'm I'm sure you've seen the old tape of him at Redfern Oval getting stuck in it. Yeah, in like it's just unreal to look at where he's come from to what he has become. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and like when you're a young kid, you sort of look up to football players and you're influenced by like how they act and all that sort of stuff as well. But when you get a little bit older, you start to appreciate things that they do off the field. And as a like grown man, you look at his like life and the way he's living and man, you're like, fuck, you're cool as well. So man, not not a lot of people transition like that. And man, he was at the highest of highs. Every club he went to, he, he influenced, he made everyone better. I remember Michael Jennings talking about where he got to the Roosters and like they'd finish a big session and he'd go off and do like Malcolm's and sort of stuff like that. So it made you question like, fuck, am I doing enough? And like, I don't know, he, he was like, his mindset towards football was just at that elite level where like when I was playing, we were like, fuck, when's our day off? Or like, why are we training past two o'clock? Where he was, he was zoned in and focused every single day. He was the first one there. He was stretching. He'd stretch at night time. So I think we're moving towards that sort of space pretty soon. But um, he was kind of like the first guy and made him look a little bit weird, but it made him special. Mate, just a different breed, SBW. And speaking of different breeds, your other back rower. Um, and mate, I almost feel sorry for my listeners that this is probably almost boring to them because this is essentially the team that I would have fucking picked and they all know it. Ali Lawatiti. Um, 
For me, I still think this is the biggest mistake the New Zealand Warriors have made as a franchise, letting Ali go. He's once described as the Michael Jordan of rugby league. Um, he was Sonny Bill Williams before Sonny Bill Williams for me. Yeah, 100%. I got to play with him, bro. He was at Wakefield when I was there, and he was my back row, bro. He was still gun too. Obviously a little bit older and a bit bigger, but still had all that sort of shit going on. Um, but yeah, just a special time. Obviously, I was about 10, 11 when he was really firing, and I, I told her that this, um, I was driving, we were driving towards Mount Smart Stadium one time. It was called Ericsson Stadium at the time, and he drove past me in the car and waved to me. I was like, oh shit, that's Ali Lowatiti. And I always remember that, bro. And he was driving with his wife and obviously got to play with him and shit like that. But like, he was a guy. And I remember like Gordon Tallis saying, like, if you got to play off anyone, who would it be? And they say, like, like Gordon Tallis is one of the game's best back rowers and one of the biggest enforcers. And they're all saying, like, Lowatiti, like, he was the guy. So, man, he was special to watch. Obviously, he influenced guys like Sonny Bill, the way um, offloads and all that sort of style of football sort of come about. Man, that 2002, 2001 time at the Warriors was a special time. It was like that offloading style and everyone sort of bought into it. Man, it was great to watch. And I think it'd be really interesting to see, you know, if the Warriors would have beaten the Roosters in 2002, where we hold Ali Lawatiti, how his career unfolded. For me, if he's a pre- if he's one of the first premiership winners for the New Zealand Warriors, I don't think he ever leaves. It's amazing to think where the career of Stacey Jones would have been, where the career of Ali Lawatiti would have been. Ivan Cleary, he was the fullback in that side as well. I mean... That could have been unbelievable. They were so good for the next two or three years after. But if you put a bit of success in there at Premiership, I think it changes the game forever. Yeah, 100%. And like he was a guy that put his faith before everything. So the reason why he left, like the CEO goes, oh, do you put like a Premiership above God? And he said, no. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you probably don't deserve to be here. Like that shit wouldn't fucking fly anymore. You know what I mean? So, and like, and, and to his credit, he goes, oh, I just never pictured myself playing against anyone but the Warriors. So he went over to Leeds and, and had a great career over there and won plenty of comps and done a lot of great things. But fuck, it leaves your mind wondering, doesn't it? Oh, like, man, I had um, I had Clinton Torpy on the podcast and he mentioned- Good guy. Oh, man, champion fella, <laughs> absolute legend. He, um, he mentioned the day that it was announced that Ali was leaving and he was just sort of like, what the fuck are we doing? Like on the list of things we shouldn't do, that has to be number one, letting this guy go. Unbelievable how it played out for the New Zealand Warriors. Yeah, 100%. So um, another guy that you wish sort of stuck around a little bit longer or, or um, David Solomona. Yeah. Like he, he, I remember his offloads and stuff. And obviously I like got to know him pretty well. Um, and he, like some of the shit he was – them two – uh, obviously, Ali was a bit more well-known and stuff like that. But, man, Solomon, like he's put roosters, um, eels. Man, they were good to watch. Now, the, the other guy that Ali played with that I that obviously went over to England, I believe he played a lot of footy over there in Leeds with him, was Brent Webb. Um, I remember every time he played for the Kiwis, he would absolutely torch the Kangaroos. He, he was a guy that I think if they would have kept him and Lauatiti, the, the franchise story is completely different at the Warriors. Yeah, obviously, you know, talking to me here, I kind of love storylines. And when Reese Walsh sort of signed, I was like, oh, is, is this our little Brent Webb moment here for the Warriors? Good-looking dude, got a bit of footy about him, kind of small as well. Uh, but, yeah, like watching him at Leeds as well, Brent Webb, he was mad to watch. Like him and uh, Brett Hodgson, stripper three-on-two every day of the week. And um, our coaches used to get us watching those types of players, but, fuck, they were good to watch. Mate, let's move to Jersey 13, the last player you've selected. Uh, you're going for Sam Burgess, uh, obviously a champion of our game, one of the toughest hombres of all time. And, man, I'm having a look. I mean, as if you take out Cam Smith, the only forward you picked that's a kangaroo is Petro Seven Asiba. You've got Morley, Burgess, two poms. You've got an all-Kiwi back row, a very good mixture. And Sam Burgess, 
I mean, th- th- those few years that he was in the NRL, 2014 is obviously the highlight. What he did at that grand final night going up against James Graham, uh, you know, and I hear them talk about, you know, like in my mind, it, it was no fluke that these two ran into each other on the first play, right? Yeah, yeah, no no way in the world. But like you said, you know how you would have picked Freddie as your third team. A team full of yep. Burgess would probably be a right as well. Um, I don't know how well he kicks, but he probably can do that as well. <clears throat> like before, like he's sort of got that, that X factor about him, like – when, when South used to run on the field, it's like, fuck, where's DI? Then, oh, fuck, there's Sam Burgess right behind him. So, like, there was no floor in this game. He could he could do that tough run. He could hang out wide and run a line for you. He could ball play. Um, he was a leader. He was an enforcer. Uh, I think when he's behind the line and he's talking, I think people are listening. I think that's really important. Um, he was just a guy, bro. I, like, I loved everything about him. And people always go, Tamalolo Burgess. I was like, bro, I'll pick Burgess every day of the week. Yep. You know what I mean? Like he'll come out the line and put a shot in you where Tom Alonso's probably got one of the best carries we've ever seen. Um, but I think just more well, like more well-rounded, passionate, but I don't know. Loved everything about him. I still remember the first time I saw Sam Burgess, you know, who Fui, it was Fui, when Moi, Moi. You, you, Yeah, man, we used to get up at the crack of dawn and watch those games <laughs> over there in the mud and in the shit and they, they, it was a line dropout and Moy Moy returned it and this fucking 18-year-old just leveled him and that was when Moy Moy, like he was – he was one of the peak front rowers in our game. No, no one was putting him on his back, let alone whacking him. Mm, and at 18, man, and like he's he's the same age as me, 88. I remember just, I was thinking I was in, still in high school. I was going, bro, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> he, can't, he can't be doing that. So, yeah, I don't know. He's had a really special career. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I always loved watching him play. And obviously when he went to Union, coming straight back and just fit straight in. It's just like the hard thing is like RTS obviously finishing football now. The one thing about rugby league and those types of guys, they never get to experience the Origin Arena, and that's yep. why we we pay homage to all these other guys like Johns in two thousand and five when he come back in the second game, and Alfie Langer oh one and Smith and um, Lockyer the try that started the eight year run. Like they never get to experience these moments, which which is um, which which is fair. Like I'm not going to go in and bat for the for like why these guys should play, but just would love to see. A Burgess and, and a New South Wales jersey, wouldn't you? Oh, mate, the reality is, like, when we look back at legends, like, all the guys we've spoken about here, they have moments that they own. I mean, we, we mentioned Greg Inglis. A lot of the big moments, the, the reason why everyone picks him at centre in their best teams is because of what he did in Origin. You look at what Freddie achieved in Origin. Lockie, 2006, scooping the intercept. Joey, 05 in Origin. I mean, a state of Origin allows guys to own the biggest stages and the biggest moments that people never forget. A lot of these guys don't get that opportunity as you mentioned, mate, uh, Sam Burgess, for me, one of my favorite stories, we, we had Jackson Hastings on the podcast last year. He's obviously returning to the NRL next year, which is going to be Where's exciting. Where's he going, Tigers? He's going Tigers. Tigers, yeah, man. So That'd it's going to be interesting, interesting whether he plays 13-7, if Brooksy maybe goes. It, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But uh, he said that when he made his first grade debut, he was coming off the pine for the Chooks. They were playing South Sydney. <laughs> he said he got up, he got his number, he was all excited, he was emotional. And Sam Burgess subbed off as he was getting ready to go on. Mm. And I just walked past him and stood next to him and goes, you're in for a tough fucking night. <laughs> and sat down and Jack Hurst said he almost dropped his fucking number. Yeah, get me back on the bench, coach, oh. please. <laughs> get me back in the stands. No, thank you. I, I, had this, I had this random theory one time and it was just a fucking throwaway thought. But um, obviously Dally M was pretty well known for like when New Zealand went over to England and he was the one Australian that got to play. Imagine, yep. imagine if um, Origin had a Dally M card. So – it, each origin, you've got one guy who's not Australian that can slot in. Like, if you were, uh, if you were Paul Green this year, who would you have chosen? Tomalolo. 
Straight away, yeah? Straight away. He's my guy. He's won me a comp. Um, we can't get any fucking go forward. <laughs> Tom is my guy. Back in when, when Queensland were firing, like do you pick up a Jared Warrior Hardgraves or do you pick up a Sam Burgess or do you pick up um, a Roger Tuovasa Sheck to play like wing? Like I don't, I don't think it takes away from the game, but man, one, one Dally M card and we're going to pay homage to one of the greatest players to ever do it. I think that'd be a great way to do it. It's like the uh, draw four in Uno, eh? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And, yeah, you know, and this is very much WWE wrestling. Like, imagine if you didn't know who the player was going to be. <laughs> and they just walk out with the smoke and everything and be yeah, done. and then you play the national anthem and they're like, who's our Dalian car going to be? And you go, 10, <laughs> no, you got the whole stadium, bro. And then big fucking Sammy Burgess walks through with a bit of smoke and a bit of Goldberg <laughs> fucking, I don't know, very, very theatrical, but fuck it to be hypey. Oh, mate, you've just offended the traditionalists more than you'll ever know, oh, haven't you? They already hate me anyway, so that's a good. I just fell off his chair. <laughs> mate, tell me, obviously, this 13, an unreal 13. For me, for you, who was the hardest player to leave out? If we if we take out the Freddie and Lockie argument, who was the next hardest player to leave out for you? Uh, Jonathan Thurston, I think, yeah. for me. Oh, I'm very biased towards halves. Obviously, I played the position, so I think it's the best position in the world. Um, but, yeah, just what he was able to do, man. Is special, and obviously when you measure up all his stats and stuff next to Joey and stuff like that, it's pretty interesting. I just love the way he played the game; wasn't too big. Um, one of my coaches used to say, "His, you know, when he was worth a, where's worth of weight, he's worth his weight in gold and tackle five. When whenever someone was getting a line break, or he was always there, he was always in the screen, he was always trying to stop tries. Him and Matty Bond had a great read on the game. Um, whenever people falling over the line, he was there somewhere. So I really love that competitive spirit about him and. Uh, yeah, I think he was mine. Who's yours? Mate, to be honest with you, I, I actually just forgot what I asked you. <laughs> what who, was who, who was the hardest to leave out oh, of the third? Uh, hardest for me, I think Thurston, I agree, he would be right up there. Um, I always really loved Ricky Stewart as a halfback as well. I know that you couldn't pick him over Joey, but I loved the way that he went about his footy. Um, I loved Mal Meninga as well. I think Mal, very hard to leave out. I prefer the way that Jamie Lyon played. I love the creativity and the sort of old school style that he had, but I really, I love the way that Mal Meninga used to play his footy. And, you know, you obviously mentioned before, I mean, and I had him on my podcast, he spoke about it, MG. Like, I, I cannot imagine MG standing across from anyone going, fuck, he looks fearsome. But to see Mal and to get that sort of reaction, I think it's unreal. Um, another guy that I always really liked. But if you, if you went Mal Meninga prime versus prime GI, how does that how does that play out in your mind? Honestly, um, it's probably controversial, but I would go Mal. I just think the presence that he had, and you know, obviously GI had that as well. But I just think that if you were to put Mal into the modern game under the modern sports science, the modern conditions, the modern rules, mate, I just think he would be unbelievable. So, some of those old tapes you see of Mal, where you know, and realistically, if Mal played now. Is he a center or is he a back rower? Where, where, where do you think he would play? Is he Tom Malolo? Is he? Is that how you see him? Uh, he's like he's like David Fafita. If David Fafita was consistent for eighty minutes every fucking week, like it's just it's Mal. He just never missed a contest. And uh, as I said, R- Ricky Stewart. There was a documentary came out on him the other night, and he he put it perfectly with Mal. He said, "If Mal Manning is in my team, as long as he steps across the white line, I don't care how he plays. He can play the worst game of his life. Doesn't matter. We're going to win because we've got the confidence of having Mal in our team." Mm. And from one of the best halfbacks we've ever seen, is there a greater compliment? Yeah, hundred so, something in that forearm guard, I think. Yeah, <laughs> mate. What about that? <laughs> it's like carrying a fridge on his arm. Uh, him, Stacey Jones, Ruben Wiki. 
dangerous that. Yeah, Ricky Stewart. I remember Timmy Smith. We were talking about him when obviously they were coaching at when he was coaching at Para. Fuck, he reckon he could still zing a ball pretty far, eh? Like he's be like, Timmy, get out, get out. And he's like standing 20 way. He goes, nah, fucking keep going. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine as well, sticky like obviously when he's passing a ball now, mate, it, it must be like being in cruise control with these new footballs. He was throwing around a fucking a, a wet brick when he was playing football and still mm. throwing it 20, 30 metres. His kicking game was, oh, I still think it's the best long kicking game we've ever seen. And Did he used to torpy all of them? Mate, he used to torpy with a fucking leather ball. Like, it, it, like it's uh, imagine him if you put him in the modern game with these balls. Like, these balls are essentially designed to kick and pass nowadays. Essentially, they're made on a computer. Mm. As I said, mate, Ricky used used to kick around a wet brick into corners and beat teams. It was unbelievable. Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember. Like, obviously, I watched the game, but it's such a different time back then, eh? Like, you see some of the tries that get rolled through. And, like I'm, I'm a, little, a little biased towards the future. <laughs> I'm like, surely like a Melbourne Storm would be able to stop these boys, or we can, oh, we, you can have these hypothetical arguments forever, couldn't you? Oh, for sure. And like, I mean, like with all due respect to all the immortals we had, I mean, if you take if you take these modern guys back seventy years, mate, it's 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 kids in a schoolyard essentially. <laughs> like the game has just changed so much Imagine that it is hard just to around, yeah. just palming off fatty. I got, I can see yeah. fatty in your background. <laughs> <laughs> fatty Warden like, ain't stopping GI. I'm fucking no. tell you that right now. No, but I mean the advantage Paul Vorton had is that he was he was playing brickies and plumbers essentially. You know, you put it's a change <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> of that guard of the guys that you're taking on now. And look, you, you can make that argument for Mal, Mal Meninga, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I would have him slightly. I, I would probably put him to to get the better of GI. But as I said, I, geez, you, you you're really picking. <laughs> finite things between the two, aren't you? Just two champion players. Yeah, very different builds as well. So, yeah, I'd take GI. Just where does uh, where does Latrell finish in ten years' time? Um, wherever he wants to finish. <laughs> it's up to uh, him. Uh, are we are we having him, are we throwing him into that three way argument in uh, ten years' time? Yeah, it depends. He's got to jag a couple of comps for self. So I reckon if he gets two, I reckon you, you can't deny. Deny him, you know, and he's going he's gonna to roll into a New South Wales side very much like GI rolled into a Queensland side. They're probably going to win nine out of the next ten, eight, eight out of the next ten anyway. So, um, yeah. Do you reckon? Yeah. Fuck, I don't know, man. I reckon New South Wales, we always get ahead of ourselves. We always, oh, we got a better team than them. We'll be fine. Well, you've won mate. four out of the last five. You only need to win, like, another four. <laughs> it's eight, yeah. out of, eight out of, you yeah. know. Yeah, but, mate, once that Queensland team, once they get their whole team on the park, I mean, once you put KP back in, once you put Harry Grant back in, if they can get their whole team on the park, yeah. entire series, I, yeah, and I, and, I, and I think right now, I know we're all blowing up about, um, about the blowouts and the rules and everything in the moment, blah, blah, blah. For me, I just think it really is a transition period. I mean, fuck, is it any shock to you that the teams that aren't getting blown out every week are the teams that are well coached? I mean, we brought these rules in last year. Everyone absolutely loved them. Then all of a sudden you gave the best coaches in the game four months to do tape to work out how they're going to take advantage of them. And shock me, the best teams are up the top again. Uh, there's an old saying, cream always rises to the top. And they, they could you could change half the rules tomorrow. And I'll, I'll give you a fair indication of who's going to be at the top of the table this time next year. Exactly. Oh, you already know who's going to be on top. Yeah. Of yeah. It doesn't even, like you, you could change the shape of the ball. You know who's going to be on top. Yeah, they'll figure it out, and they always do. Like I said, yeah. cream always rises, and man, what you, but you need you need great organisation structure as well. So you need great admin, great coaching, great players, and um, those those Melbournes, the Roosters, um, all those teams teams always seem to be up there because they've got that nice little flow. And mate, it's a copycat league over the next year. 
you'll have the, the teams that are at the bottom right now that, that can't work out their ass from their head that are doing the same thing as Melbourne. But in 12 months' time, Melbourne will be doing something different. They would have found the next edge to take advantage of what they were doing 12 months ago. It's it, It's been the same sort of phase and transition over the last 15 years in rugby league. Yeah, but you can't you can't copycat talent, can you? So at the yep. end of the day, it's a superstar league, and when the game's on the line, there's, there's two types of people. There's people that don't want the ball, and there's people that do want the ball. And those guys who do want the ball are usually the ones that are paid the most, and they're the ones that can execute. So when the game's on the line, man, that's why these guys get paid millions of dollars because fucking they don't feel their pressure. They want the pressure. They see pressure as a privilege. So, man, and that's always that's always going to be the case. Whenever there's a great player, there's always going to be a team that rises up, no matter what sport you play. You look at tennis, there's always Rafael Nadal, and then fucking, you know I mean? There's always someone, Federer, there's always someone that's going to rise to the challenge. Penrith are flying, Melbourne going to rise. Melbourne are flying, someone else is going to rise. Whenever you look at sports, there's always someone that's going to be balancing them out. But the one thing that's going to separate them is talent. Yeah, without a doubt, mate. And I uh, can I ask you this, but before I let you go, you've obviously got at the moment the three teams at the top. Can I ask you if the Roosters had their entire squad, are they are they the fourth best team? Would you have them on top of Manly, on top of Penrith? Are they equal with the Melbourne Storm? Where would you have the, those Roosters boys if they had their entire squad? Because they're not. I mean, they're not fucking that far off at the moment. Missing, I'm going to say probably three million dollars worth of talent and about a thousand games of first grade. Yeah, um, yeah, they're right up there. Obviously, I think they're just a little bit tired, bro. Like everyone gets up to play the Roosters, and a lot of them are getting head knocks right now. So you got to think like a lot of the times when you play football, you're like. Oh, we'll play Titans and then we've got the Roosters next week. This is our big test. So over the last three, four years, they've been the big test where everyone's just like, and then more collisions, faster games. You're playing in origin. A lot of head knocks start to come, but they're right up there, bro. They're, like I said, great teams. Like Cream always rises and talent. They're just missing a bit of talent. You've got great admin, great coaching. You look at your players. You just Like you said, you're missing $3 million worth of talent. And in this competition, it matters. Mate, uh, in your dream team, does Joey uh, get to wear the C next to his name? Nah, I've got Cam Smith. Um, just a bit more steady. I had Thurston on one of my benches as well, just in case Joey wanted to have a big one the night before. We could just swap <laughs> him in and out. So I was starting to think along these lines as well as an actual coach. No, I think Cameron Smith, um, obviously Joey's got the old, old he'd, he'd, he'd run the team. Um, you know, the old saying, you don't need to see next to your name to be like a leader. He'd be that guy for me. But yeah. Was partial to a blow up with the old mouth guard coming out, you know. So I just want a nice, calm leader, and I think Smithy's the guy. As you said, mate, obviously Cam Smith, I think he'd be the skipper in the first half and the second half. In the third half, though, Joey Johns would definitely take over. They'd do some damage off the field, these two halves, wouldn't they, Joey and Freddie? Yeah, 100%. Just got to let them do their thing and can't really tell those players what to do. They're great for a reason, and obviously that carries on outside the field as well. So they're a little bit different, and that's what makes them great. Ice, mate, I really appreciate your time once again. Second time you've come on, and hopefully I'm trying to organise with Jackson. We can have you on before the finals to uh, give a little preview there. Always appreciate your time and uh, everything you've sort of done for me without even probably realising it, uh, just following your content and everything every day. Thoroughly appreciate your time, brother. Thanks, bro. Get me on any time you want, so appreciate you. See you later. Thanks, mate.